When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the show as we all battle through this coronavirus pandemic at the moment. I'm hoping all listeners of the show are safe and keeping well and all and then the same extends to your families. Hopefully everyone's staying safe, staying hope and uh, staying home and uh keep keeping safe and all that sort of stuff. Fred, I hope you are doing doing that too, my friend. You know, how are you, sir? Oh, Mark, friend of yours, friend of tears. I'm doing okay. I'm just trying to get through these uh, tough times with the family. You know, I'm trying to use this as a, as a way to better myself. It's, uh, you know, being put in close contact with the family is something that's, you know, we were all coaching my son for, you know, all those weeks. I was pretty much gone every night. So, it's been a good thing for us, I think, getting together, playing, you know, board games, uh, all eating together and uh, overall trying to make the most of it. But, you know, I still my heart goes out to the people on the front lines, especially the doctors and nurses. I mean, talk about what a group of heroes they are. Everyone who's, uh, you know, going out there and and fighting this virus. And, you know, I'd also like to give a shout out to one of my good friends who had actually recovering from it. He made it through the rain. Very difficult process, but he got he was able to get you know, uh, I think he's almost a hundred percent now. So it's good that it's good to know that you can get through it, but, um, you know, especially the older you get, the more, more careful you need to be about it. Yeah. 100%. And it's, it's a weird situation because for me, I mean, look, we're here to record a basketball podcast. Obviously there's no basketball on at the moment. So a lot of my online experience has to do with basketball, has to do with all of that and connecting with people online about basketball. That's 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 my main passion, my main hobby as it is, I'm sure, for you too. But yeah. I've actually been trying to stay away from being on the internet from just because I just don't want to be absorbing all this negativity 
for 24 hours a day. I have to do that enough during my actual job where that's literally all we're thinking about as well. Coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. But it is good to hear things like that, that people are like your friend who have, have contracted the the virus but have the ability to pull through. I think that's encouraging to hear at the same time. So whilst I've been trying to avoid the internet, trying to avoid all the news and all this, because most of the stuff that you do here is just, just terrible and tough to just tough to hear or listen to. It's, it is good to hear, you know, something like that. Yeah, I know. I hate to, you know, I hate to say this, to, to sound callous about it, but like, I don't have a lot of fear about the specific virus outside of my father. You know, I, my, unfortunately, my mom passed away four years ago. He's alone, right? He's by himself and, and he's kind of quarantined because he was stuck in an airport when all this went down. Um, you know, so I, I worry about the elderly. But in, 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 in a weird way, if the younger you are, the less likely it is to hurt you. Like if this was affecting, potentially affecting my kids, this would be the worst thing I've ever endured. You know, like worrying about that, like the H1N1 pandemic that we had in 2009 in the United States, you know, going through the CDC site and, and really learning more about how throughout history, how we handled these things. It's really interesting contrast looking about how the United States handled it then, how, how we're handling this. There were, uh, I wasn't even aware of it. I was going through the, the CDC site and I, you know, I lived through that time in 2009 and 10 from April to April and there were 12,469 Americans who died due to this strain, the H1N1, which was never seen before, a flu virus. And it's interesting to contrast talking to a friend today, how, you know, we're dealing with this compared to that. Um, you know, and I don't know, it's, 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 a lot of a lot of interesting questions come up. You know, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to move forward? But I think as we go further and further along, I think a better strategy might to have have targeted um, targeted uh, quarantines for the elderly and people that are really in danger of getting this and being very aggressive with masks. Um, I saw an excellent overview from a from a New York physician who basically says I have no more fear about getting this virus. The way you get this virus is through uh, hand to face contact and just wearing a mask, even if it's not an N95 or a real high end one. You need to program yourself not to touch your face. You don't realize how often you do that and how that will lead to you getting it. And uh, you know, just spending more time on it and really understanding it has helped me. No, I mean and that's a good approach. I mean, for like. You know, reading up on it and being educated on it, I think that's certainly the right approach. And I guess to for me, sometimes I try to escape from it. I don't, I don't want to hear about it because I, I just don't want to have be constantly thinking about it. And I mean, I, I, an example I can point to, for example, is like currently in the US, there are over a hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand cases. As an example, now that doesn't necessarily bother me too much, or, or it doesn't affect my physical health, but. Given I'm in Australia, there's only about 3,000 cases here. But at the same time, I mean, you are in the US. Your family is in the US. A lot of people who I consider friends who maybe I haven't necessarily met in person, but I've obviously spoken to online for years and years and years. And like for, for like you, for example, we haven't met yeah. in person. But when I hear that the US has over 120,000 cases and then that, that number is going to just climb, that makes me anxious and my way of responding to that is just to maybe run away from it or put my put my fingers in the ear and try not to think about it too much but i think what you've outlined as well is also a very good approach to it as well and just making sure you're reading the right things making sure you're across the right topics and listening to the right people that way you are well informed about the whole situation 
Yeah, you know, one other interesting side note I'd like to share with everybody is that on on March 4th, I went on a trip to Minnesota, actually meet with the Minnesota Vikings, and I was in an air, I was on an air, uh, you know, United Airlines flight that morning at 6 a.m. It was extremely noticeable how there were not a lot of people there. Um, there was very few people on the on, on the flight. But when I came back from that flight, um, I have a scent that I a Febreze thing that I like. It's an apple cinnamon cinnamon thing, and I noticed two days after that, and I opened it up. I could not smell this this uh, this thing at all. It was so bizarre. Now, what's not bizarre is at this time of year, I always have allergies, so I kind of just chalked it up to that. Like, man, but that's still a little strange because I felt completely fine. A few days later, um, you know, slight cough, not terrible. Um, you know, I, I wasn't feeling great, but it was it, I was extremely tired for two days. But I, I felt fine, you know, overall, no fever. That was all you ever heard. You had, you had to have the fever on it mm. and, you know, continued going to work. Now, and then, you know, a couple of days later, I was 100%. So the reason I'm sharing this is when the Rudy Grow Bear story that came out recently about one of the symptoms was he couldn't smell. It really hit me like, oh, my gosh, you know, like going back in time. There were two events that I had that week. I went to a golf show where there were literally 100,000 people probably, um, maybe not that, that many, but quite a lot of people in in a confined area on the 1st of March or 2nd of March, and I was on a flight on the 4th of March. Is it possible that I was exposed to it? Is it possible that I had it? And you know, I don't even know because I was nowhere near sick enough to even remotely go to the doctor. Um, so you know, I, I think just by a lot of stuff I've read on it, a lot more people could have had it. Um, and I'm not saying I had it. Who knows? You know, maybe it was just allergies. Maybe it was just something weird because you know, I was completely fine. But, um, you know, I think, I don't know. We're really going to have to, as a society, figure out a, a way of, of moving forward because we can't go on like this for six months where everything is just completely shut down. I think it needs to be a selective quarantine. I had, I had a discussion with this with the great one, Doug Tonus, the other day, and he was kind of bringing this up that we, we need to be more aggressive go back to work, but be more aggressive in protection and quarantining uh, selective groups. Who knows? You know, there's a great experiment going on now in Sweden. Now, I don't know if you've been following the news about them. They're just, everybody's going back besides the elderly. So, you know, who knows what's the best way to handle this. But I do suspect the total amount of people who've had it is significantly higher. And if yeah. that's true, that the fatality rate is significantly lower. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. There's, there's reported cases, but then there's people that may have it who just have no idea that they have it or have had it and just have just gone through it and didn't know they had it. So it's Yeah, and, and, it's and Mark, all, please, it's all I'm not trying to minimize this. Very no, I know what you're saying. Like, I know. Like, I know. especially if you're elderly, like, my God, that's what we're all worried about. But, um, you know, just looking at reading again, read read up on that H1N1 for 12,000 Americans. I had no idea that many people died. Yeah, I had no idea about it either. And maybe that's just us going about our our blissful ignorance and our day-to-day lives i guess and just not necessarily considering these these larger things that are at at play and to be fair i I can't remember and maybe i can't remember because i wasn't actively looking for it but it certainly wasn't reported or certainly wasn't getting the same sort of traction as as what this is but maybe i was being ignorant then as well but yeah it's it's an interesting weird situation we find ourselves trying to navigate through it all i don't know if, if there are right answers to it the the right answers are probably differ among different countries different regions based on how sure. they've sort of handled the situation 
from 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 the get-go what what makes sense in one country may not be applicable to another so it's just it's all over the place it's a bit of a mess and we're just going to have to navigate it you know without having all the answers up front i think we're just going to have to work that out but that's the real life situation fred but i I, look I've, i've spoken about my need to escape from this and in part, that's why I wanted to continue to doing these podcasts. Now, we didn't do a show last week. We'll probably be going every fortnight from here on, just maybe spacing it out a little bit. But I think it's important for me and you to do this podcast, but hopefully for the listeners as well, just to have something to escape to. If you are a bit like me, where you don't necessarily just want to be thinking about coronavirus for 24 hours a day, do you want something just to take your mind away from it so that's why we're doing this show continually through this we don't know how long obviously this whole ordeal will last for but here we are continuing to podcast the way and look we want to talk about some random things obviously there's no sport going on at the moment so we can't discuss actual live news or live games or anything like that there's no basketball news really to be had but what i thought we could do today for it is go over our Top five, I want to do some lists. So now, like, pretty much everyone is doing list podcasts or list TV shows, and we're just joining in on that bandwagon. So I thought, why not do our top five most overrated and underrated Chicago Bulls of all time? Mostly because I know that's going to be a divisive topic among you and I, and maybe us arguing about it can provide some, um, some, some brief entertainment for those listeners out there who want to be distracted from the real life nonsense all going around us at the moment. So I thought we could do that and we floated this the last time as well. We could maybe go over our top 10 bands slash musicians or artists that we have come across through our lifetime. So I definitely want to argue about that one because I know for sure you and I differ on that. But we are, I probably also wanted to talk about something else you mentioned the other day, which was your your most fondest Bulls playoff memories over the last few years, or maybe not last few years, but maybe earlier in the decade or earlier earlier in the 2010, somewhere in, in that Rose era of timeline. So they're the topics I wanted to discuss, but what do you want to start with first? I think we should keep the Bulls stuff up, uh, up front. Do you want to talk overrated, underrated, or do you want to go the uh, the playoff stuff? Well, yeah, let's, let's start. Well, let me throw out one poll that I I had uh, tweeted earlier this week. You know, I I have a lot of these brilliant polls I like to throw out there, and I thought this one was a exceptionally uh, insightful and, and and fun. And I'd love to get your opinion on this one. So the sure. question was, which one of the following plays is your favorite? And this is going back to two thousand nine. Um, so the Noah Steele and Dunk versus the Celtics in the playoffs of two thousand nine. That was the famous game six where Pierce followed out on that play. Taj Dunk on Wade, 2011, Game 1 versus the Heat. The Rose, what are you doing, Dragic, uh, in 2010? That was a regular season game, and I was shocked that it was 2010. For some reason, I thought that was 2011, but after rewatching it, you can see Tyrus Thomas and Vinny Del Negro. So that was 2010. And the Rose game winner versus the Cavs in 2015 to win Game 2. The reason I picked these four, I mean, these were the, f- the four – that really came to mind that are kind of like seismic events, seismic plays in the last 12 years. Let's first start out with that question. Would you agree these are arguably the top four? Are there any ones that come to mind? And then the second part to you is out of those top four, what would you pick for yours? Yeah, I can't think of one that should be in the list that's not there. Maybe our listeners can alert us to that fact if there's something that we have missed then they can drop us a note on Twitter and just let us know about that. But immediately thinking about it, there's nothing that jumps to mind that probably 
rivals or is or is a better moment than those ones that you have called out? Maybe maybe Jimmy Butler's uh, 50-point game against the Raptors where he had 40 in that second half. That was pretty damn good. But, I mean, that was the entire game. So it's not a moment as such. So I think your list is pretty comprehensive or at least the ones that I would immediately recognize. But if I was to pick one, let's say, I, I, to be honest with you, I really couldn't. So the way I was thinking about this is rather than picking one that I would think is better than the others, I, I tried to... Uh, it was more of a process of elimination. So the dra- uh, Rose's dunk against Dragic, I mean, uh, that is an insane dunk. But the fact that it happened in a regular season game made me want to peel that one, peel that one away before I even thought about getting rid of any of the others, given that the other ones that you had sort of listed were huge moments in a playoff game. So yeah. immediately I got rid of the, the dunk against Dragic. Um, and then I was left with the Noah dunk on Pierce, Taj dunking on Wade, and then the Rose game winner against the Cavs. And again, this was super difficult because in every moment, there were key moments that I thought that the Bulls had a chance to to get past the hurdle that was immediately in front of them. So uh, I'd probably take, to me, it would probably be the Taj dunk on Wade or the Rose game winner against the Cavs. And the reason why I say that was they were further along in the playoffs where you felt like you could actually beat who was in front of you and who was in front of you was LeBron at that point. And for those brief moments, you actually felt that, holy hell, the Bulls might actually have a chance here to not only beat LeBron, but maybe go ahead and win a championship. So that's why I have to rule out the Noah Duncan Pierce because whilst that was a huge, a huge moment and I thought the Bulls could legitimately beat the Celtics, I didn't know if they could actually go on and do anything greater than that. And my expectations for that team weren't as great as what those other two teams were. So I got down to the Taj Duncan Wade or the Rose game winner versus the Cows, but picking between those two, uh, it's it's pretty damn hard. It is. I think you can make the argument. The reason the Taj – well, first of all, let me go over the results of the actual poll. There were over 600 votes. The Noah Duncan Pierce won with 29.3. The Rose game winner versus the Cavs had 29.1. So those were one, two, extremely close. The Rose dunk on Dragic was 24.7, and the Taj dunk on Wade was only 16.9. Now, I had the Taj dunk on Wade, and the reason why is, to me, that's arguably the apex of the Bulls in the last 12 years. Like, at that moment, you really believed the Bulls could win a title. Mm -hmm. Really believed it. I I felt that. I felt my gosh, we are pounding this team. It was against the Heat, which was the team that really kept us away from winning a title. It was game one, too, wasn't it? It was game one. We won big at home. The place went nuts. It was such an iconic moment. It was so incredible. Uh, Such a great dunk. And you're doing it on Dwayne Wade. You know, like one of the big three of the team. It it just, to me, really resonated a lot more. I I was kind of surprised. I agree with you completely. And the Rose dunk, you know, that's probably the most famous Derrick Rose dunk. But it was still, you know, a regular season game. Meaning-wise, it was pretty small. Um, And the Rose game winner versus the Cavs, it was a bank shot. Like, it always left me a little bit of, like, it was a great shot, don't get me wrong, but a little bit of luck when you're banking it in from three-point range. You know what I mean? So Yeah, there is, but at the same time, I think everything you stated about that, why that Taj dunk over Wade was so important is why, to me, that Rose game winner was so important against the Cavs because you got that feeling of that Taj dunk again. Obviously, a very different play, but you got that feeling about okay, well, is this redemption time? Is this a chance where we can make make up for what was meant to happen in 2011 or potentially 2012? Maybe you're getting that sniff again of 
maybe this might be the time of you actually get past LeBron. And I think that's why that Rose one is so appealing because that was after game three or that was in game three. The Bulls go up 2-1 against the Cavs. They win that, then they play the Hawks in the finals, Eastern Conference finals. You feel like you could beat them and then all of a sudden you're in the finals against the Warriors. So it's just an interesting situation where... I, I almost got to relive that Taj dunk on Wade through that Rose game winner, or at least the feeling of that of, hang on, we might be able actually to bloody well do this. So yes, yes. that's that's why those two for me are so important. And I, I get what you're saying about that Taj dunk on Wade and game one specifically as well. I mean, the, these are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. We had all been waiting for this playoff sh- uh, showdown to happen. It happened in the Eastern Conference Finals, and here we are in game one, absolutely destroying the heat. Taj dunks an iconic dunk on Dwayne Wade, and you're thinking to yourself, holy hell, we're actually going to do this. You're allowing yourself to buy into that moment, and that's what I did at, at, during that Rose game winner uh, against the Cavs You know, four years later as well. I thought, hang on here. Four more games left, or we've only got to win two more. Surely that's possible. Yeah, what really left me, another point, though, I'd like to make about that Rose game winner versus the Cavs in 2015 is people forget uh, Gasol went out in that game. And I still had that sad feeling in the back of my head, like we're not winning this series without Gasol. And then game three happens, and and he didn't play. We lose that game. I mean, there were a lot of interesting things that happened that game. Of course, the timeout, you know, that was called that – they didn't by the Cavs when they didn't have any, and uh, you know, and the refs didn't give a technical, and obviously uh, LeBron hit the big shot, and it was pretty much over from there. You know, yeah. we didn't really have a chance when Gasol went out. I mean, he was clearly one of our better players. I mean, but we should have been up three-one. We were so much closer, though. Exactly, it, it. We were so much closer than I think we get credit for for that year. I really oh, felt like that team yeah. was, yeah, you know, because 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 Butler had taken a big step. Rose was still playing at a high level. Yeah. The issue with that team that we forget is is Noah had just uh, degraded to a point that he was not good. And, and part uh, of that was them playing at power forward, which probably was never real. I mean, he was. Know, I mean, that, that, that go, go between Gasol and, and Noah playing power forward. One of them had to play power forward when both were realistically centers. So that was problematic, as well as him, obviously too. You know, running into all those injury issues as well, but. Yeah, that team was close. They could have gotten to the finals had they gotten past the past the uh, past the Cavs. I, I I fully believe that they should have been up three one, irrespective of you know Gasol being hurt or not. Maybe they don't win the series, but all they have to do is win one more game, and maybe they could have. But they should have been up three one. But now we're lamenting over terrible terrible refing decisions. But um, yeah, exactly. It always has a way of coming back to these uh, these dark moments, these Bulls memories. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're beautiful for. A brief moment of time, but then all of a sudden we are we, we lead back to uh, some darker moments. Even that Taj dunk, that was great in game one, but you know four losses straight after that, and then that was the end of that. All much closer than we rec- than we remember. All in 2011, it was it, those were games we absolutely could have won, and yeah. if we would have had Dang played horrible. I wa- I rewatched those recently, and and uh, Luol Dang was just awful in the fourth quarter of those losses, just terrible. And his stats were horrific, um, you know. So that he needed to step up to help Rose, who was getting double teamed, you know, by Wade and, and LeBron in the last five minutes, and nobody else stepped up to help him. The only other guy who could have was on the bench in, in Kyle Korver. So, um, you know, who knows if, if he would have actually played? But let's go on. When enough beating the, do- the you know, uh, the uh, I think we beat the drum a little bit too much on this one. Let's go on to the next topics. 
No, fair enough. And may I just say, that was a great poll from you. Uh, generally, I think your Thank tweets you. and polls are terrible, but um, on this rare <laughs> occasion, you have pulled it out. So, appreciate that, Fred. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? I think my polls are brilliant. I can't believe it. But thank you. That was a good poll. I was very proud. It was a good proud one. Of it was a good one. I was surprised to see it, but it was very good. Um, so, yeah. Shout out to Fred. But I want to talk about the top five most overrated and underrated bulls. But before we do that, let's tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. That's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, back to the podcast now where we are talking the top five most overrated and underrated Chicago Bulls of all time because what else are we meant to be talking about during this whole pandemic? Let's go over some of these random topics, some of these lists. Hopefully, they're divisive enough for Fred and I to get into it. We didn't necessarily get into it just then, Fred, over those top playoff moments because, I mean, it's hard too given that they're all great moments and, and you know, you're not really going to lose no matter what what option you choose. So maybe we can get into it here on this topic. Do you want to start with overrated or underrated balls? And I'm pretty sure we're going to disagree ir- ir- irrespective of that. But where do you want to start? Well, I have to have a, a shameless uh, self-plug here. I can't provide you with my top five overrated bulls of all time because I'm uh, working on an article for NBC that will be out this week. It's the actual top seven. I, the, everybody knows the number seven is is, uh, is associated with me. So it's the top seven most underrated bulls of all time. In fairness, I only had five in my head. I got to come up with two more before Tuesday Tuesday evening. But I think it's actually going to be posted on April Fool's Day, believe it or not. So uh, I have to have <laughs> – I, I cannot give it to you yet, but uh, please look for that this week. So I'm just going to listen to your list for top five overrated and I will give commentary on uh, why some of these are dead wrong. So let's why don't you go ahead first. Well, you, you've had the uh, the ability to see what I have on my list, and it's without an context, though, because we have a shared Google Doc, which you have finally discovered how to use. And <laughs> to be honest with you, I really struggled with this, both with overrated and underrated, because to me, I feel like most Chicago Bulls players over the years are properly rated, at least in my view. Um, I know you most definitely have players who you would think are overrated, which you're wrong about, and most definitely players who you think are underrated, which you are definitely wrong about. But to me, I think in the general sense, I think most players are properly rated to the point where I struggled with this. So I just wrote down five names who I potentially could float out there and throw to you in part because I knew some of these would irritate you. So I'm not overly serious about these. I don't know if I fully believe it, but these are the ones I'm going to throw out there, Fred. All right. Go right <laughs> So the first on the list, he happened to be on your most underrated or uh, your most over uh, underappreciated list, I believe, the last time you wrote for NBC Sports. Did, uh, I could be wrong, but maybe 
Maybe I'm wrong about that, but maybe my list here is Dwayne Wade, who I thought was one of the most overrated bulls of all time. And thankfully, it only lasted one freaking season. 60 games, almost $40 million paid to Dwayne Wade to average as many points as he did shots. So he most certainly figures on my list, and I'm sure you disagree with that. Well, I, again, this is this is absolutely laughable in that <laughs> overrated it has to be the general public, the general fan base has to rate a player. And your perception that Dwayne Wade and his performance by the general fan base is is actually is actually better than it is. I I'm like I said, I've mostly put together this list to Dear thinking TV. about you, thinking about who C Red Fred would uh would find umbrage with, and, and that's why I have Dwayne Wade at the top of my list. Okay, all right, let's let's, let's take a step back. First of all, this is ludicrous. Dwayne Wade is actually an underrated bull, and the reasons no. I've outlined are are, no. are, are, are numerous. Are, are numerous. He the, averaged the, eighteen them points right. for us in third in twenty nine point uh, less than thirty minutes per game. How many bulls have done that since zero? Um, how many do, will do it again in the next decade? Zero. Like if his name wasn't Dwayne Wade, if it was Kirk Heinrich, if it was Ryan A, if it was if it was uh, David <laughs> Nwaba. If it was David Nwaba, you would be building a statue made of peanut butter uh, and putting it on your front lawn (laughs) (laughs) to it. But it was Dwayne Wade, and you're comparing it to what he was. 18.3 points. Um, Do you you realize that only four Bulls in the past decade have averaged 18.3 points or more in 30 more games? It's Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, Paul Gasol, Zach Levine. Uh, So he did that. He averaged 18.3 points. He had 18.5 PER, which is a n- number never reached by most Bulls legends, including Kirk Heinrich in that season with us. Th- to argue that he was uh, <laughs> overrated when most people think he was a colossal disaster is completely asinine. But go ahead. Attempt to do it. No, look, I mean, like I said, I'm looking at this through the prism of what would piss off C. Red Fred. So that's why <laughs> Dwayne Wade tops my list. And it points per game to me mean nothing without efficiency. And Dwayne Wade was below league average in efficiency, which is what to be. You'd expect that from a 35-year-old at that point in their career. And that's why the whole signing was stupid from the outset. So I still have issues with that whole signing. It was dumb. But uh like I said, it was only for one year, so I, I understand why you may not think he deserves to be on that list. But All right. similar theme, Rajon Rondo, most overrated bull. One of the most overrated bulls. I mean, still to this day, people think the Bulls were beating the Celtics in the playoffs had Rondo not broken his hand or whatever the hell he did. I mean, that is just ludicrous. I'm sure you're one it's of those ludicrous. people who it's thought the, the Bulls exact- were going to win. I... I, I- it's amazing. Like I was in a Boston <laughs> bar for those first two games, wearing a Ben Gordon jersey, yelling at Boston patrons that Bob Cousy wouldn't be playing for a Division three team uh, during those first two games of the playoffs. I was there. I saw the disgust in their faces. I heard them saying, "God, I wish we had Rondo. Uh, Rondo's better than Isaiah Thomas." I was there. I witnessed Rajon Rondo single handedly. Uh, along with Jim, well, maybe not single-handedly, but along with Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, just outplay the Celtics and go up 2-0. He breaks his hand, 
And then the Grand Canyon between him and Jerry and Grant was so large and so embarrassing that we never won another game for the rest of the series. How do you continue to make this argument? You and and Matt Peck make this argument like we would have never won that series. It's like, this is the stupidest thing. I, I did you if you watch the first two games, how can you make that conclu- conclusion? Very simply, Rajon Rondo very was simply. very good. Go on. Well, let me hear it. If you watched the first two games, you would understand that the Celtics were having trouble with Robin Lopez. Then all of a sudden, they switched in game three and they made they went to those smaller lineups, which effectively took Robin Lopez out of that series or at least diminished him some. So irrespective of Rondo being there or not, that they had made a schematic change that was going to influence how the rest of that series plays out. Now, maybe they don't win so easily. And obviously, the Bulls had you know, behind Rondo, just a bunch of garbage. So the Bulls most definitely would have been better and would have put up a better fight with Rondo instead of Jerry and Grant or, or who are, uh, Isaiah Cannon or whoever the hell, some, Michael Carter-Williams, whoever the hell uh, the Bulls had running through point guard at that point. I mean, Cameron Payne was on the roster at that point. So they had a bunch of trash behind R- Rondo. I most certainly accept that. But the Celtics made a huge schematic change that would have influenced that series, Rondo or not. So that's why I think the Bulls still lose. He had 20 assists in two games. He had 17 rebounds in two games. He had 23 points in two games. He was basically almost averaging a triple-double. And you have the temerity to say <laughs> that, that just because it was Robin Lopez, they changed up their defense at Robin Lopez. It's so nauseating. Rajon Rondo does not get hurt. The Bulls at least go seven, and they most likely win. It's clear. And I, I don't know why this is even – you want to say overrated for the regular season, you might have an argument. He was fantastic in those playoffs. And every person in Boston knew it. They said, we've seen this guy. We know who he is. And he, he not only that, he was great the following year for the Pelicans. And you're, he made Nico Miritich into an average <laughs> player in the playoffs. <laughs> So let, let's let's just get off this topic before I get really I get too upset. I know you're just trying to irritate me with these. Oh, it gets worse though. Yeah, I was just about to say <laughs> it, gets worse. it doesn't get much better from here, Fred. But number three on my list, a man who has been in his role for years, of which so many of those years have been undeserved. Someone who still lingers around this franchise because of one freaking jump shot he made in 1993. A man who continuously. For so long, got by on that stupid jump shot. It is Johnny jump shot. John Paxson makes my list. He hit a shot freaking almost 30 years ago, and he's still getting by on that shot with certain, certain people. And I have a certain person in mind who still thinks John Paxson is a Chicago Bulls legend, whilst that is certainly not true. That is why he's on my top top five most overrated Chicago Bulls of all time. What say you, Fred? Well, this is this is a special kind of dumb that uh, <laughs> that, you, that you want to portray John Paxson as a one shot one shot maker. Let me tell you what John Paxson did in the finals in 1991. All right, this is a, this is what he did in the finals in 1991. In the first, in the uh, the second game in the finals, he went eight for eight from the field. Let me repeat that: eight for eight. He had uh, 18 points. <laughs> In this, in in the last game of the finals against the Lakers, he went nine of twelve. The game four, he went seven of eleven. John Paxson was one of the best shooters in Bulls history, and he in in that Lakers series was essential for us to win that first title. That that series was a lot closer than people recall. We lost game one. 
Every one of those games was pretty close for the most part. He was huge. And not only that, here's the stat that should stick with you for the rest of the time. Here's his uh, uh, plus minus. Actually, I, did, I lost it. Gosh darn it. <laughs> I think he was minus. Off I the top of my head, kill. I think he was minus 40. <laughs> he had 18. What? He was minus 40, <laughs> wasn't he? Get out of here. Just eight for eight from the field. Uh, again, I can't say it enough. He was so fantastic in that series. And that's what John pa- John Paxson did. He hit shots um, and, and he spread the floor. He wasn't a, a, a basic point guard. He really kind of became like a shooting guard as the more ball-dominant Scottie Pippen and, and Michael Jordan handled the ball and spread the floor. He was essential for us winning those first three titles. And for him to get relegated as a one-shot Johnny – is so nauseating and so infuriating. I just want to pick up my computer and throw it through a window. So <laughs> that's wrong. He was awesome in 91. And in Michael Jordan, uh, has, there's many books that attest to he wished he didn't retire and often asked him to come back in 96. 96! That's what he wanted him back. He loved him so much. So don't let the uh, unfortunate uh, last three years ruin your opinion of a legend named John Paxson. Well, look, I mean, I, all I heard there was a, a guy that was riding coattails on Scotty Pippen and John and, and Michael Jordan. If you put Ryan Archidiakono next to uh, oh, Michael God. Jordan and Scotty Pippen, you get the same results. So to me, no, John Paxson, just completely over, overrated. <laughs> do, what do you think Ryan A would have done against Phoenix in game six with that wide open three? Something tells me it would have end, ended up uh, over the backboard. <laughs> he's, he's been way too pumped up in you know, in his football uh, attire. His football attire. <laughs> no, I, I think I think Ryan Archidiakno, given the same circumstances, probably drills that shot just like Paxson did. I I just want everybody who doesn't believe who, who thinks Sean Paxson was one shot Johnny go watch Game Five, the decisive game, the winning game against the Lakers. Watch the whole game that he scored twenty points and hit shot after shot that was backbreaking on on the Lakers. So. Um, this has been a nauseating list. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Go on. What's your next one? Well, yeah, the next two I don't feel great about because, like I said, I struggled with this list because I think most of these players are properly rated. The first three on my list were put there to irritate you, and I think I've successfully done so. But the next guy on my list, again, I don't feel great about it, but I think there's an argument to be made that maybe Horace Grant is somewhat overrated in Bulls law to a degree. Now, that's not me saying he wasn't good or very good or even an all-star because he was that in Chicago for that one season. But is he maybe a little overrated, Fred? Just a bit? No. Uh, this is another <laughs> horrible choice on your part. And I like to point this. like There, there is like a movement. I, I'm not ever going to say Scottie Pippen's overrated. No, no. He's, he's, uh, he's he, underrated. He was fantastic defense. No. Yeah, no. he is. He's, Scottie Pippen's He's underrated. properly late rated as a legend. Scottie Pippen was a fantastic defensive player, one of the best of all time. He was not a closer. He did not hit shots in the game on the line because he did not have that ability. He did not have the clutch gene like Jordan had. There's nothing wrong with that. There's some incredible legends in the history of the game who did not have the ability to hit shots when they mattered. Like, I, I think of a guy like um, a Carl Malone. Carl Malone was not a good closer. He did not hit shots when the game was on the line. Um, and then I think of a guy, um, but but um, Tony Kukoc had that ability. He had that ability, I want to take the shot. I want to make the big shot. Scottie Pippen didn't have that ability. He didn't make big shots down the stretch. He was an incredible defender. There's a key difference. 
when you're nervous at the end of a game, and I'm saying this out of experience, I know how difficult that gene is. Ben Gordon had that gene to be a big, big shot guy down the stretch. Because you've played a lot of key playoff NBA games. (laughs) I've I've played a lot of tough games where I realize that it does take a little bit something extra when the crowd's going nuts down the down to. There's some people that shrink from it, and there's some some people that want it on the offensive end. All that nervousness doesn't help you. So when Scottie Pippen missed the two free throws against the Pacers in 1998, that would have that won us the game, and Reggie Miller came back down and hit it. That's the difference between Reggie Miller and Scottie Pippen at the end of a game on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not saying defense. On the offensive side of the ball, he just didn't have that ability to hit big shots. So I think Scottie Pippen is proper, proper, properly rated. Now there's a lot of people in movement saying, all of a sudden now that he's he's actually better than he actually was. And my counter to that is, and it's very clear, in 19, everybody goes, look at what he did in 94. He was almost an MVP. Yes, that's true. That team was better around uh, outs, than, than the 93 team, uh, with the, obviously with the exception of Jordan. Jordan left the team, right? But they added Tony Kukoc. They added Steve Kerr. They added a lot of great players. Very good players to that team, and they ended up having a fantastic season. Scotty played at an MVP level. However, Horace Grant, who made your list here for some dumb reason, left the 94 team, and what happened? Oh, my gosh, it's basically the exact same team, Sands, Horace Grant, and what happened? They went into March. They were under 500. That was the one of the worst teams that the Bulls had had for a number of years until Michael said, I'm back, and then suddenly they're in the playoffs. So what was the difference between 94 and 95? It was Horace Grant's departure. Yet, you have the audacity to call him an overrated player. He was essentially – he did exactly what Rodman did, but he didn't have the hair colored. He didn't have the, the dating of all the, you know, the floozies. He didn't have all the, you know, all the, all the nonsense, you know – wrestling with the cameramen he was exactly what Rodman did except I think he actually a little bit better yeah that's why I don't feel great about putting Horace on there but at the same time when I think about those great dynasty years I don't think about a Bulls big three I still think Michael and Scotty but some people try to make it as a you know try to fit Horace into that sort of picture which I don't think is fair either so that's where I was more thinking about it and I say overrated not to say he was a bad player or he wasn't good like Dwayne Wade or Rajan Rondo I mean those were bad players inefficient players Horace Grant was not that he was obviously a very damn good basketball player but I just wonder if he's somewhat slightly overrated because to me he probably is now I know Someone like Horace is getting replaced on your list by Luol Deng or Kirk Heinrich or someone like that. But to me, those players are properly rated. So that's why I can't put them on my list. Hence why I had to squeeze Horace in there. And hence why at number five, I've put Larry Markin in there. Well, Ola, I want to stay back, go back to Horace. You remember after John Paxson hit that game winner in, in game six against the Suns, you know that the game wasn't over. There was still some time on the clock. Do you remember what happened? Kevin Johnson, one of the greatest players of all time, had the ball, and Horace Grant blocked him. That's something that people forget. Incredible block, incredible play. Everybody go back and watch that, and, and next time you have the, the foolishness, the, the, the audacity to put Horace Grant on any uh, overrated list. Go on. 
I like I said, Horace is a good player. I never said he was a bad player. I'm just saying he might you be. You just a call touch. him overrated. I said him just because you're overrated doesn't make you a bad player. I'm just saying he might be slightly, slightly overrated. That is all. Okay. But okay. in saying that, you completely ruined my segue to Larry Markman, who came in as number five on my list. And I was thinking about this more so about who I have on my underrated list because someone like Elton Brand, who was a 2010 guy who was playing defense as a rookie, as a second-year player, he's someone that we quickly moved on from. We think about from time to time, but... When you think about Larry Markman and the way he's potentially built as this potential all-star, this foundational piece, this guy that potentially could be the face of the Bulls franchise going forward, and you compare him to someone like Alton Brand, who is an afterthought at this point, I mean, how can you not think that Larry Markman is, is overrated at this point? Uh, I'm going to have a harder time arguing with you on this. I, I'm There were very few people who were bigger fans of Larry Markin before this year. I felt he had top 10 talent. I thought he could develop into a Dirk Nowitzki light, become a player that is feared and and respected across the league, and I've been wrong. He's he's been terrible for the most part relative to expectations, right? I mean, he's had moments, but, you know, it's year three. You want to see that jump. Look at what Tatum did this year, and look what Larry Markin did. Like, I, I, I don't. Uh, to me, out of the four, the core four, he's so distant four now. It's like not even an argument. And I, I still have these conversations with people that are, well, I, I put Wendell Carter Jr. fourth. And I'm like, really? Wendell Carter Jr. has shown he's an elite defender. He is. He could be all NBA within the next two years on the defensive end. What is Laurie Market in all NBA at in anything? He's not even close. No. So I'm not going to argue with that one, Mark. I actually think I've actually considered it. I'm not going to probably put it on my list for NBC, but he's close, man. And I don't think that's an, uh, something that is, uh, is you know, I don't want to bury him yet. You know, he's, it's still too young. He's still young and, you know, we got a moron coaching him. But he's not been good this year. And I'm I, I have very serious concerns. Yeah, and like me putting him on this list now is not potentially what I think about what may happen for him. He's obviously still got a long time left in this league to turn things around. But I just think about all the fanfare he's received, all the goodwill that he has versus someone like Chris Dunn or Zach Levine or someone else. And I just think about all that. Think about Alton Brown and the fact that he, in his first two seasons, was a much better player to me than what Larry Markkinen has been. No doubt. But has never received this level of fanfare, at least in my opinion. He was shipped out pretty quickly. I just think Larry's a tad overrated. So maybe it's a little bit, um, you know, maybe I'm thinking about this season too much and this, this, you know, the disappointment of this season is shaping my opinion too much. But yeah, I think Larry's a little overrated, unfortunately. But that's my list, Fred. What, what, what are your overall thoughts? Well, I thought it was a travesty besides <laughs> Larry Markin. <laughs> I think the other ones were, you know, just uh, horrible. I hate, to, I hate to tell you, Mark, I was very disappointed, but not surprised. Perfect. Then, then I was successful <laughs> in my task. That's exactly what I aimed to achieve. And it, it sounds like I've just, uh, I've done what I needed to do. I think your overrated list is overrated. How do you like that? <laughs> Fair enough. How do you like that? Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, you're, you're writing yours. Yours comes out when? Tuesday or something? Hopefully, uh, I think we'll be actually to the public on April Fool's Day, Wednesday, appropriately. Fittingly. Yeah, fittingly. So maybe we can discuss your list on the next, next show once it's, uh, once it's published. And, and let me just say also, I, I want to say something about it. 
this this list is something I've dreaded doing. You know, I did that uh, underrated list a year ago. The the comprehensive actual. If anybody wants to know the the actual underrated list, which is accurate and comprehensive, and uh, scientists from uh, North Dakota um, have figured it to be the actual truth, please go check that out. That was easy. When you're highlighting underrated players, that's something that's easy to do. This overrated list is much harder, and I know I'm going to take a lot of flack for it because there are legends on this list. There are beloved members of the Bulls organization on this list. I'm not looking forward to it because I know I'm going to get a lot of flack uh, digitally and probably socially, maybe even spiritually. No, I completely agree. It's, it was a difficult difficult exercise, and like I said, I, f- I feel like most Bulls are properly rated, but um, that's why I had to pull some out of nowhere but um some i had to also pull out just to annoy you but moving on fred what do you want to talk about next do we jump in we're doing the underrated do we want to do underrated or is there enough time do we have time to do that and the greatest bands and musicians maybe we can maybe we can how, how about we do underrated next week give the fans a chance to read my list all right um and actually i, w- I will tell you something something uh, let me just give you one really quick thing on the underrated list that uh maybe some people don't know Originally, I didn't have Dwayne Wade on that list because I know right away people are going to look at it and as soon as they see Dwayne Wade, they're probably going to shut shut down the computer. Please don't. He originally wasn't on there. I made a very good argument why he's underrated. I thought his performance was not at all commensurate with the hate. Um, the other lists were all on there, but my actual number one, believe it or not, and NBC made me change it, was Michael Jordan. So the original list I had at the time was Michael. And... No one's ever read my original text. I'd, I'd love to read it now if you'd want. No, that's fine. Okay, we'll do <laughs> Let's do it next week. Let's then. do it next Because it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, but, but uh, okay, we'll do it next week. Let's go on. You want to go on to the bands? I want to discuss the bands because uh, I think it makes sense to maybe keep these topics apart. So we'll, we'll go over my underrated list whilst we go over your overrated list and we can go back and forth on that. So we can do that on the next show. But I definitely want to talk about this band's musicians topic because I know you and I differ greatly on this and I did enjoy our last conversation about music when we were talking music. And we last time we spoke about it was the best albums of 1991 and we couldn't have had a more differing opinion on it all. So you floated this idea on the last show that because... We wanted to do some off-topic stuff and off-topic stuff here on Bulls HQ we have kindly coined as bullshit. So we're heading into that agenda now. And yeah, I just had a a lot of fun talking about music with you last time. So let's do it again. We've got our top 10 greatest bands slash musicians slash artists slash whoever else the hell we want to throw into this list of all time. And I want to hear about it from you. So maybe we can go back and forth in somewhat of an order as to who we have on our lists and maybe we can mock each other as we're doing it. That sounds great. I would also like to say, I hope you can offer like one or two songs that are a little bit off the beaten path that maybe some of the listeners can go run and, and find on YouTube or on whatever uh, you know music service they currently subscribe to. I think that'd be uh, you know I'm some of these I've seen your list. It's I've you know at first glance I found it to be just incredibly awful. But maybe <laughs> I, I, if I go back and listen to some of these songs you've offered, maybe I'm, I could be wrong. I, I doubt it, but I could be. Yeah, I think you will be, but let's, let's, let's start with you. Who do you have at 10? <laughs> so number 10, I have a, um, I think the best band from the Seattle scene, uh, you know, there was obviously Nirvana, Soundgarden, a lot of great bands out of there, but uh, I have Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam for me um, just hit me like a ton of bricks. 
in uh, 1991. I first became aware of them reading Circus Magazine. I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. Started reading about well before they became popular. And I think that might have been 1990, actually. No, it was 91. It was, it was right when the Guns N' Roses albums came out. Hearing about 10. And I got it before anybody else did, and I was just blown away with how good that album was. I love that album. Ten is fantastic to listen to. Uh, and then I went on to um, the the, the uh, next one with Animal. Um, gosh, what is the title of their next album? I totally forgot uh, off the top of my head. But the problem, my problem with Pearl Jam is that I believe they hit their apex in albums number one and two. And every subsequent album, for the most part, with few exceptions, got subsequently worse. Um, but they've always been uh, just excellent songwriters. Eddie Vedder's a fantastic singer, great live performance. I can't say enough about Pearl Jam. They at number 10 on my list. What say you? Did you listen to them on uh, Bill Simmons? I did, and I was I, I I have to say I do not find Eddie Vedder to be a great interviewer. Yeah, like I I find him kind of boring, um, and I don't think he's ex, you know exceptionally insightful or does says anything that's. I find him kind of similar to Bruce Springsteen that I think they're much better as performers and say a lot more in their music than they do in their interviews. Um, but uh, Jeff Ament I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. What did you think? Did you listen to it? was to okay. It? I mean, look, I respect yeah. Pearl Jam. I like some of their songs. They're not my favorite band of all time or anywhere close to it. But yeah, I was a bit bored of it after about an hour or an hour or so. I just like, eh, I don't need to listen to the rest of this. To to your point, like it wasn't just super engaging. So that's another topic we should say. Like, who, which, what musicians do you like being listening to interviews for? Because I have a couple that I, I can listen to all day. I think they're incredibly insightful and really in, engaging and really interesting to listen to. And then there's some that I, I, you know, musicians who I love, and I'm like, God, this guy's a moron. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I Do you get feel it. that way? I get you. But, uh, it makes sense. But uh, yeah, I understand why you have Pearl Jam uh, in your top 10. Not surprised, but most certainly not in my top 10. So let me start with number 10 and maybe... Maybe this is somewhat ironic given that this band was sort of prolific at the same time, but I've put the Red Hot Chili Peppers at number 10 slash John Frusciante because I'm playing, um, I, I maybe, you know, just curtailing, curtailing the rules a little bit here, but I'm squeezing that in, them in as two, but maybe it's really just one, but I really like John Frusciante's solo stuff as well. But this was probably the first band ever for me that I truly loved. Maybe them and Blink-182 when I was like a, a 10 or 11 year old, but Whilst I, oh, <laughs> whilst Blink One Eight Two never really stuck with me post my post seventeen or eighteen, the Chili Peppers have been a band that have always been there for me. So they come in at number ten on my list. And just just thinking about what you said before about listening to certain artists or musicians who are interesting and engaging, someone like Anthony and and Flea, they're super engaging. So I I, I do enjoy those two guys as a stage presence, but also off the, off the stage as well. I, I could just listen to those guys. So I've got the Chili's slash John Frusciante because his side stuff is a bit weird and it's a bit eclectic. And I'm a big John Frusciante fan as a, he's one of my favorite guitarists of all time. So I'm, I'm putting them both in at number 10. Well, I, I'm not going to give you too much argument in this one. I think, uh, he is a fantastic guitar player. I, everything he did with that band is some of their best work. No doubt about it. Um, I think blood sugar sucks magic from 1991 that album specifically is uh, just a masterpiece. Uh, just some songs that people I suggest listen to could have lied, um, which is something probably maybe you don't know, like 
just off the top of your head, but I think Could Have Lied is is a fantastic song off of there. I love Suck My Kiss. Uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is a great song. Um, my Lovely Man is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's excellent guitar work. It's He's just... Yeah, I can't say enough about the Red Hot Chili Peppers at that era. I love that. And then also with Dave Navarro, which I think is one of the most underrated albums of all time. In 19, I think it came out in 94. Um, Dave Navarro, probably my all-time favorite guitar player, was in that band briefly for one album. Yeah. It's just genius. Love it. So not going to argue with that. They're not in my top ten, but I do love, especially that era. era. And are you glad he's back in the band? Yes, about yeah, it? I am excited about what that means. I do like their latest two albums. That was different, but um, I, I I am happy to see that. I am very happy to see that. I, it's renewed my interest in that style of music, in that band. Not to say that I, I didn't appreciate their final two albums or their previous two albums, but um, you know, John, John is iconic to me. No, that, well, that was a good pick. I got to hand it to you. Well, uh, thank that you. That was one of them where I was like, yeah, I could see that. That wasn't well, too bad. Well, let's jump to your number nine then. So my number nine is uh, the Eagles. And, uh, you know, I know some people will just be, you know, oh, God, you know. And I used to be that way. I I was not a big fan of the Eagles for a long, long time. I liked Take It Easy and a lot of their more popular songs. And and that's the thing about the Eagles. Their popular songs are their best songs. There are all the the rare stuff on there is just absolute garbage. But when they hit – when, when there, there, some of their their songs that are time, you know Tequila Sunrise, they're timeless that you listen to. It, it's impossible not to recognize the brilliance in their harmonies and how they were dedicated to their craft and songwriting, and and the talent in the band. Glenn Fry, excellent songwriter, um, and, and you think about some of the songs that really that he wrote with. Well, he co- I think he actually wrote that with co-wrote that with Jackson Brown was Take It Easy, but um. I love Lion Eyes and, and the lyrics are just so really good. Just I, I can't I can't say enough about that band. Now I didn't I didn't like any of their later stuff after they basically broke up and they got back together and you know, some of that's just an absolute, you know, joke. But as far as a band and, and just technical expertise and really good guitar players and it, it, just a great band that I think is extremely underrated by today's generation. What say you? Yeah, I mean, they've got a couple good songs, but nah, completely overrated. <laughs> there we go. Like, I will say, Take It to the Limit, um, which is actually written by their bass player. Um, a lot of people, and it's actually sung by Randy Meisner, which is sung by their bass player, has a lyric in there, which I think, first of all, it's one of the greatest songs of all time. But the lyric in that song, I actually think, is the secret to life. <laughs> And it's in their second uh, verse, I think, where it goes, you can spend all your time making money. You can spend all your love making time. If it all fell to pieces tomorrow, would you still be mine? I think that's pretty much encapsulates what we're all doing in life. You know, you're, you're working. Why are you working? You're doing it for your family. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to earn money for your family or you're trying to do whatever you can to make time for your family. But when it's all said and done, what happens if all this goes away? Are you still going to be devoted to the person that you love? It's just a brilliant line if you really – you can think about it for a good day and a half and really just realize that that's pretty much what life is about. So um, this is the kind of insight you get on, on the uh, Bulls HQ. Yeah, I mean I, I thought about that line for five seconds and then I completely forgot about it. So thanks, Fred. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there you go. 
The Eagles at number nine for Fred on his list. Okay, interesting. Uh, they're definitely nowhere near my list. I mean, I, I appreciate their body of work. I like some of their songs, but no, I don't think they're that great. Um, but moving to my number nine, and look, this is a theme for me throughout my list, and it will become clear over the course of my list as we sort of ha- count down from our top 10. But I listen to music through guitar first. So that is what draws me into a certain artist or band or music or whatever it might be, genre or otherwise. But guitar is what speaks to me more than anything. The lyrics, sometimes I don't even pay attention. I'm, I'm, I'm listening squarely on the guitar. And that's why I have Santana at number nine for me because his guitar lines, his lead lines, the blues influences in the way he plays. I could just listen to that on just endless, endless repeat all day, all night. So for me, Fred, Santana is on my list. Now I know some of his commercial stuff is a bit, you know, on the nose, but some of the stuff that he did in the seventies and eighties and some of those, some of those guitar lines, I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. So that's why I had to put him there. I mean, he's it, no doubt about it. He's an extremely talented musician. Um, and you know, obviously he's had an influence in, in certain sectors, but to have him in a top 10 list list, I think it's just, you know, laughable. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not one of his songs that I've ever been like, Oh, this is, this has changed my life. Steady, I don't have any of his songs in the top, like a hundred of songs that I've And what he's done, like the last stuff that he did with, Oh, you know, give me your heart, make it real. Or, oh, <laughs> give me. We don't need to oh, see it on this garbage, podcast. garbage. Oh my god, you know, Oya Kemova, Black Magic Woman. Uh, you know, Europa? all the, all the hits, Euro- evil Europa? ways. Yeah, oh, god. come on, it's like come on, it's not, none of that stuff is anything. Like if I had to pick blues for Salvador, forty bands, come on. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, I like I understand what you're saying, and I, I I'm partly partial to it that. Yeah, he came out with a guitar that was like a cheap end for the Paul Reed Smith, and I bought it. It's Santana PRS, it's called, yeah. and it it pissed me off so bad because it was such a pile of crap as a guitar. <clears throat> I, I spent one. like nine hundred dollars on it, and it was just like, let me put my name on it, and it's a low end PRS when I just should have sh- saved up for the for a high de- high end PRS. It's just like the whole thing, you know, with him going commercial at that time, it just like it irritates well, me. Well, let me ask you this, off topic, somewhat. Are you a Stratocaster or a Les Paul person? So I have a Strat. Yeah. Um. The, my, but I am not a fan of Strat. <laughs> That's the guitar, unfortunately, I've played my whole <sighs> life. I, I had a Les Paul that was destroyed by the midget, uh, excuse me, little person, in that fight with the wrestlers that I told you about. Yes. Um, that was my favorite all-time guitar. It was like a beautiful guitar. Um, Les Pauls are just so heavy. You know, they're so uh, – I love Les Pauls, though. That's my – but uh, PRS, Paul Reed Smith, to me, is my all-time favorite guitar, but they're so freaking expensive. Yeah, I know. That, you know. Are you a guitar player, Mark? I tried teaching myself. It didn't go great, but every now and then <laughs> I'll come back it. to it and start convincing myself that, oh, maybe I'll be able to like, get the hang of it. But I just don't have the uh, the mental fortitude to continue practicing, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. yeah, the correct answer, obviously, was Stratocaster, but yeah. Anyways, moving along, let's keep this thing Tully's going on because we're, we're running long here, Fred, but I want to get through this top 10. Uh, number eight for you. Number eight, Led Zeppelin. So I wasn't always a fan of Led Zeppelin. Uh, I actually was very irritated as I got into, you know, growing up in the in the 80s, 90s, Led Zeppelin had a, where I grew up, with the guitar players I hung out with, they were just revered. And Led Zeppelin didn't speak to me that much. I wasn't a fan of Plants of Voice as much, so I always kind of 
was a little bit like, oh god. Like I mean, like I just kind of felt like they were extremely overrated. <laughs> um, I hate to admit it, but back then I did. Like I actually liked the Beatles a lot more. They spoke to me actually before that. The Monkees. It's almost embarrassing. <laughs> <to say. laughs> oh man. And Aerosmith. I loved Aerosmith. I love guitar bands, but you know, I I understand. I understand they. I would have put them in a class. Like I understand how good Rush is. I understand how how talented their musicians are. But I'm not a Rush fan. Their music has never really spoke to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's never moved me in any meaningful way. That's how I felt about Zeppelin until probably around ninety nine, two thousand. At different points in my life, I've discovered something, and I listened to the Ocean. That song oh, yeah. specifically. I heard that song and. There was just something about that song that the riff was so freaking good. And uh, I, you know, I, I was pretty much exposed to all their greatest hits before that. And I started to get into them a lot more and started to get into more of their albums. Led Zeppelin 2, I Love Heartbreaker. Like, I really got into them a lot more. And now they're clearly in my top 10 and a fantastic band. And actually, lately, I've watched a lot of uh, old Led Zeppelin, early, you know, 70s videos with them. No doubt about it. One of the best bands of all time. Extremely talented. I think it was more Plant's voice. I couldn't get past. But now I, I just I do love that band. Fantastic. They're in my top 10. I mean, they're in my list. They're, they're a little bit higher than what you have them. But again, thinking about what I said before, uh, just, I'll, 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 maybe I'll keep my thoughts on Led Zeppelin like I said yeah. they're on my list a little bit later on but you've got them at number 8 I can't argue too much about that one given I've got them in my top 10 uh, but moving to my own number 8 I'm not sure if you've heard of these guys Fred they don't probably aren't, aren't the type of music that you're into I'm tipping if you're into the monkeys and the Beatles and <laughs> that sort of garbage <laughs> I know exactly who they are I know exactly who they are oh you do well, right number there. 8 on my list I have Dream Theater progressive metal band <laughs> Uh, just one of the better bands, one of the more one of those bands that spoke to me. I love the fact I love concept albums, and these guys do it all the time. And they play like uh, again, thinking about what I said before. I just love and appreciate guys who are absolute wizards on their instruments. And I don't know if there's a more talented band than Dream Theater and their specific than their specific instruments. I mean, these guys are absolute masters. Their songs last for fifteen minutes long. They're the most progressive metal thing you could ever think of. And I just love them. And Dream Theater is one of those bands growing up that I just routinely listen to and listen to and listen to and listen to. And unfortunately, they were coming to Australia and I was meant to see them in April. But uh, the whole coronavirus has made sure that isn't happening. So I was a little bit disappointed. But I've got Dream Theater as uh, my number eight band on this list thus far. Well, I, this, this one, I, I had a hearty laugh. When I saw them on here, because I used to work with a guy who we talked music all the time, and this was his favorite band. They're amazing. And he used to tell me, Fred, you got to listen to Dream Theater. You know, they're fantastic. <laughs> and first of all, he put him in I, – he, he was in that same – I think he had him in the genre. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but he put him in the genre with his other bands that he loved. Rush, Yes, yeah. um, Genesis before they changed. Yeah. You know, like – they're directly into that prog rock yeah. genre. Progressive music which is beautiful. I can't stand. <laughs> it's not beautiful. No, it's, fantastic. it's for nerds who like math, who <laughs> who who just you know who are pretty much never dated a girl. They sit in there. They 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 read math problems and they listen to uh, prog rock. Unlike That's people who Peter listen to the monkeys, into. very cool people. <laughs> well, all I gotta tell you. The very, I mean, there's no doubt about it, extremely Italian musicians. I totally get what you're saying. I, I feel the same way about Rush. 
every one of her songs I've ever listened to, I'll never want to listen to again. It's like, oh God, like, is this going to, is there a chorus that catches me? Is this something I could sing in the shower? No, I'll see you later. Have a good day, Dream Theater. And could you come up with a better name than Dream Theater? Why? Holy What's wrong smoke. with that? It's beautiful. It's dumb... Nice Dream imagery. Theater's not beautiful. <laughs> it's the dumbest name ever, Dream Theater. Give me a The break. Monkeys. The Beatles. <laughs> come on. Yeah, dare you. What other stupid insect are we going to name a band of? <laughs> come on. Anyways, get moving along because this is going to be the longest ever episode of Bulls HQ in history. <laughs> so this let's is maybe, good. maybe we should just let's do, speed this up a uh, little bit. But let's go to your number about, seven. How about we do ten to five? How about we do ten to five and then we do our top five next week? All right, let's do that. Let's do that. So let's get, let's jump to your seven. Okay. Um, let me pull up my list here. Seven is uh, uh, Aerosmith. Ugh. Aerosmith is um, one of my favorite bands of all time. They're a fantastic band. Um, th- at various points in my life, they've spoken to me incredibly deeply. Pump had a huge impact on my life. I thought it was one of the first albums I got into where I really started getting into the guitar. Loving an Elevator is one of the best guitar songs of all time. Uh, anybody who's <laughs> seen them live, Aerosmith is one of the best live bands ever. Steven Tyler's voice is incredible. Joe Perry's guitar is incredible. I'll never forget singing What It Takes in, uh, in a car once, and my nose started bleeding. It was that hard to sing. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, one of the best concerts, I've seen Aerosmith 10 times. I saw him at the University of Illinois when my brother was there in 2002, I think. They opened up with uh, Back in the Saddle again, which is, I mean, come on. It, talk about a riff that moves you and, and – incredible they opened up with that that opening song was one of the most insane experiences i've ever had at a concert it's definitely up into one of the top five concerts I've ever seen how you cannot like errol smith and and to think of a band with two unique eras where like van halen they had two different almost different bands even though it was the same pretty much the same group of musicians and to have success from the 70s and early 80s and then have a break and then redefine themselves as almost like a pop band with, with some fantastic songs like Crying and Crazy and Amazing. I love Aerosmith, and, and they are absolutely fantastic. And if you don't disagree, uh, you can pound sand. What say you? Well, I think Aerosmith are a decent band. I mean, they're inferior to ACDC, as I've tried to explain to you multiple times, <laughs> and ACDC aren't even in my top 10 lists. So the fact that anyone would have Aerosmith in their top 10, let alone number seven. I think that is ridiculous. But hey, I was expecting that going into this. So that those are my thoughts. I, there are guitar pl- players listening to this. Just look, I'm certain listening to your statements and just like, what is this guy talking? You said you tried to learn guitar. Yeah. If you sit down with an Aerosmith song and you sit down with, a, with an ACDC song, I like ACDC. They're a fine band. They're all very highly distorted, open chords, not extremely difficult. It, it's like Aerosmith comparing them. It, it's night and day. It's so ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. <laughs> but I'm sure there's somebody will disagree with me and tell me to uh, jump out of you know jump off a bridge. But I know it's true. Eh, well, maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> What's your seven? <laughs> Anyways, moving on to my seven, a band I'm probably sure you haven't heard of. I, am I, I am I fair not. in saying that? I thought it was a Harlequin novel or something you accidentally put in here. <laughs> All right. Well, it's going along the theme of my love for progressive music. So this band maybe takes what Dream Theater does and just turns it up to you know a few extra levels to the point where they introduce those, prog- those progressive and jazz elements into their music whilst also playing some intense, heavy death metal at times as well. So... 
For me, at number seven, I have Between the Buried and Me. Uh, they are a fantastic band, one of the best bands I've ever seen live. One of those bands, again, who have just stayed with me year after year after year. Everything they do is amazing. Absolutely progressive masters, and they're on the harder side, which I like. So for me, at number seven, Between the Buried and Me, Fred. I don't, I don't even know how to respond. I thought this was a joke. It's, I honestly it's real. thought this was Just like do me a those... favor. Go listen to the album Colors. Concept <laughs> album that thought... each song is continuous and they flow into one is just beautiful. Do you ever see those books like that, uh, you know, middle-aged women read with uh, Fabio on the cover? <laughs> That's what I actually thought this was. <laughs> Between the bear. <laughs> what, what a dumb name. Like, oh my God. All right, I'll, I'll think, give it a try. It makes you think. It makes you th- yeah, it makes you think I don't want to listen to any of it. <laughs> number six. Oh, number six. Jane's Addiction. Oh. One of the best bands of all time. Um, incredible band. I can't recommend this enough if anybody hasn't listened to it. Uh, they first gained popularity. One of my good friends, the first song I ever heard was I heard two songs. Jane Says, which is a beautiful song. Um, and, um, you know, Perry Farrell, I understand, is an acquired taste as a vocalist. He's got a very kid-sounding voice, but it is a beautiful voice. And I, I, I love when he sings. I think he's one of my favorite vocalists. I love his lyrics. Uh, and he, he gets right to the point in his lyrics. Um, very good lyricist. I can't say enough. Pigs and Zen was the second song I heard. All off, nothing shocking. Uh and Dave Navarro is, to me, the best guitarist, my favorite guitarist in the last 20 years. He's a phenomenal guitar player. It, it, it's a lot of PRS. Plays, plays, uh, he's one of the best. I mean, I, 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 I've seen them so many times. I saw them in first row in Vegas. It's one of the best experiences I've ever had, being right in front of Dave Navarro. Can't say enough about it. Three days off the uh, Ritual de la, de la Habitual album, that solo you'll hear in there is one of the best guitar solos you'll ever hear. It's Stephen Perkins as a drummer is incredible. Just an incredible band, and I can't say enough about them. And uh, if I'd say I'd start out by listening to Jane Says, Pigs and Zen, their live stuff. They have some beautiful slow songs like Wood for You that are really beautiful off that live album. I can't say enough good stuff. How could you not like uh, Jane's Addiction? I mean, they're fine, but you just sound like any, you know, any any guy who was like maybe 17 or 18 years old who was coming up through the 90s and just listening to mainstream rock. All these bands, that's what you're that's what you're basically telling me. That's what you're listening to at that point. You were maybe you were 20, 19, 90, 1991, something like that. And these are the bands that grabbed you at the time that you found easily on your transistor radio at that point and that was what's on the, the the local airwaves, and that's what young C Red Fred was hearing. So that's that's what I'm. This argument is so dumb. This, list. Hey, this this argument is so dumb. The reason they're popular is because they're freaking awesome. Yeah. And if they if they happen to connect with a lot of people, unlike the the buried in me, well, that's because they between connect with a lot of people because the they're great. No, <laughs> between <laughs> whatever. The the reason only like ten people have heard of the buried in me is because they're terrible. Uh, they, they, or I don't know if they're terrible, but they haven't connected with the mass audience. Jane's Addiction isn't like a very popular band anymore. It's like I think they're one of the bands that have been forgotten in time with this generation. And I encourage people to go back and listen to them because they're they're freaking awesome. Yeah. Mountain Song, oh, I love it. You ever want to lift weights? Listen to that. Stop. 
Uh, and you just, you just hit the weights and you're ready to rock and roll, man. Oh, Having said well, that, between the Berodamine when you're listening, or lifting weights is fantastic. I mean, the pace that they play, you just want to run and you just want to lift heavy. I mean, just check them out for it. Just check them out. <laughs> but anyways, Jane's All addiction, right. num- you're number six, right? That's correct. That means sure it's up to me, number six. And at the moment, on my list, I put, the, I put them in some sort of order, but I really, there is no order to this. But I've got Jimi Hendrix at number six. Again, Thinking about what I said, I listened through every every music genre. I'm, I'm listening through every album, every artist. I'm always listening to the guitars. And how can you go past Jimi Hendrix? One of the greatest, if not the greatest guitarist of all time. Jimi Hendrix comes in at number six for me. Many arguments with that I'm one? Not gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to criticize it. I, I don't have him in my top ten because as far as a songwriter goes, I don't think he's a great songwriter. He's a great guitar player. He reminds me of Clapton. Like Clapton to me is a terrible songwriter for the most part. All Clapton's greatest points or great greatest minutes have been, you know, like Crossroads. I feel the same way about Hendrix. Like uh, All Along the Watchtower is a, is a Dylan song. Like a lot of uh, Hey Joe is a you know blues song. A lot of my favorite stuff by him. What song did he write that's like really uh, a pure work of genius that he wrote? You know, Purple Haze. It's all all okay. That's what I'm saying. He's a great guitar player but a good songwriter uh, at best. And so that's why he's not in my top 10, but no doubt about it. I mean, he's one of the most influential guitar players of all time. And um, let me stand next to your fire. I mean, yeah, the guy's genius and it's a shame he died at 27. Yeah. And I mean, look, I had John Frusciante slash Red Hot Chili Peppers at number 10 on my list. I don't get that without Jimi Hendrix, who was a huge influence on John Frusciante. So I had to put Jimi in there. I mean, his guitar work is just just otherworldly. So to me, he, he makes my list at number six, just purely iconic, one of the greatest guitar players, if not the greatest guitar player of all time. So that's why he's in my top six. But that, Fred, is our first five from our top 10 list. Maybe let's call it there because we're, we're running long here and Absolutely. maybe we can hold our, yep. our top fives for, for next the next show that we do. And I'm sure we'll go through some... Um, some interesting ones with you considering what you've already got i mean i must am i to assume you got some other seattle based you know hard rock bands in your top five can i guess it <laughs> no don't i don't want you to ruin it and by next week i'm going to have the heinrich song ready i've spent hours this weekend finishing it up you've been saying that and, for the uh, last two years well no 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 not now this i mean we're serious here my son is actually producing it <laughs> And uh, there are moments of ge- uh, genius, I will say, when I was singing the song that I had tingles on the back of my neck, how beautiful it sounded. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. Well, that makes sense. It, it makes sense for you to debut the Heinrich song on a music, uh, sorry, on a podcast where we are going through our top five bands slash musicians slash artists of all time. So it fits in. So you've got a deadline then. Let's make sure you well, do here, it. Here's, here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll promise you. The actual uh, studio composition with piano and drums and all these other things, I'm, I'm going to try to probably do it with NBC's help because I, believe it or not, Heinrich made my most overrated list. I'll Shocking. give you a little insight there. <laughs> and then, uh, but I have a beautiful demo version right. that I will uh, I will pass for Bill's HQ next week. That's a little bit more unplugged and rare right. uh, that people I'm sure will listen to. It'll hit us right in the soul that one, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, speaking of Kirk Heinrich, you happen to have lost our bet as I've sort of alluded to online. I think I've mentioned that on this podcast. And 
as payment for that bet, not only have you had to wear that Heinrich jersey for a week, which fortunately for you, I guess if there's one upside of this whole coronavirus pandemic is you get to wear the Heinrich jersey in your home where only your family is subjected to it. So that is a bit of a win in your sense. But there was a second element to that bet, which was for you to post online on Twitter a video of you professing to your love for Kern Heinrich based on a script that I had made for you. And I was expecting you to complete that by this week, but Fred isn't always the most reliable person going around in terms of timeline. So to no surprise, you weren't able to do that. So maybe next week as well, you'll be able to do that one too. I always fulfill my bets. I unfortunately have not had my haircut uh, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and since I have to film this, I want to have at least a presentable uh, countenance and make it professional and, and make it live on because it deserves to, I'm sure it'll be shared with millions of people <laughs> after reading your script, I will admit. I did find it uh, very interesting, and, and uh, I heartily laughed at moments. So it, it, I need to be a, a top form in order to do this. And believe me, this beard is wayward. My hair, I, I look like a uh, like a caveman slash John Tesh impersonator. It's really bad right now. No, fair <laughs> understandable. Understandable. Well, you you're know doing John the right Tush? thing anyway by uh, not going out and trying to get your hair cut. So commendable in that <laughs> sense. But I'll give you a few more weeks, and then, uh, and then at that point you'll have to post it because uh, I'm due. I, I I'm it. due. I'm due. But Fred, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the Heinrich song. I'm looking forward to going through our underrated list or my underrated list next week whilst we also digest your top five most overrated balls. But also look look forward to finishing off our uh, top five or our top 10 ban list. So that'll just about do us for this episode because we have run extra long, but hopefully that has enabled you listeners to be a little bit more distracted from the day-to-day. Uh, they're just the drudges of day-to-day at the moment. It's tough out there. Hope you all staying safe, just like Fred is, just like I am. Hopefully all is well with you and your families and hopefully that remains the case. But uh, hopefully this podcast has been a nice distraction for you all to just escape some of the uh, some of the negative stuff around this whole thing, and maybe this has enabled you just to take a breath and just to get away from reality for a, for a time being. If that's the, if that's all Fred and I can provide in this time, then uh, hopefully we've done done you justice here. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. We'll be back very soon. Follow us online at MK Hoops. Follow Fred online at CBE Fred. You can obviously catch the podcast wherever you can find all your podcast wherever you subscribe to you'll find bulls hq send us send us an email as well if you want if you've got any questions concerns ideas for future upcoming shows bulls hq pod at gmail.com but just just about does it thank you for tuning in speak again soon bulls fans and stay safe out there Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. 
you'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.